Well, all right, how are we doing this morning, community of faith? And those of you at home, the thousand of you listening at home, I think I heard them. Did you hear them? I'm so glad you're here with us. We're in our study, Christianity 101, looking at the Gospel of John. And we're finding out that Christianity is way more radical than what American religion would say that it is. Remember last week? We're looking at chapters 13 through 17 over these next several weeks. And it's really, there shouldn't be any chapter headings because it's all happening in one night. It's the most we see of the interaction of Jesus on an ongoing basis anywhere else in all of the Bible. Last week, he stunned his disciples, you remember, by wrapping a towel around his waist and getting down on his hands and knees washing their feet, and he said, I've come to serve, and that's what I want you to do. You do the same. I'll serve you as you serve the world. And then he gave them a new commandment. He said, I want you to love each other the way that I have loved you. And then he went on to say, Judas is going to betray me. Peter, you're going to deny me three times, and all of you are going to be scattered so I'm sure the disciples are in turmoil by this time emotionally. And now we come to chapter 14, but it's still just continuing to happen. And Jesus says something that I think is so applicable to us today. It helps us to know how to live, to know how to be in this crazy world of ours. So let's take a look at what he says in chapter 14. He says this, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And it's kind of an amazing thing because he's just shared these things with the disciples, even the fact that they're going to mess up. They're going to betray him. They're going to deny him. They're going to run. They're going to be scattered but he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. What about you this morning? Is your heart troubled? When Jesus is talking about the heart, he's talking about the deepest part of us. He's talking about the part of us that is so much deeper than just our, even our intellect or even just our emotions, that deep down, deepest part of us, our heart. And we can get in such turmoil there, heart trouble. And he gives us a cure for heart trouble. You know, in this world of ours, it's so easy to really, at the very foundation of our being, to feel unrest, to feel anxious. In the time that you spend at church this morning, 90 teens will have attempted suicide in America. Statistics tell us that Almost a half of all new marriages will end in divorce, and the statistics aren't that much better for church marriages, unfortunately. Every year in the United States, in 10 million homes, children are sexually exalted. Our economy seems to be like in free fall, in turmoil, closer to civil war than we've ever been since, well, the, the Civil War, I guess. 
We have all kinds of things going on, anti-Christian sentiment higher than it's ever been in the United States. It's quite natural to have a troubled heart. When, when we see the world around us, when we focus on what's happening, when we sit and watch the news, it's just human nature to experience this kind of heart trouble. But Jesus is saying, I want you to move beyond your human nature into the spiritual realm. It's so easy to live in our human nature. It's natural, right? It's just doing what comes naturally. There's nothing difficult about that, but Jesus is constantly challenging us to move into the spiritual realm, to move from a, a, a temporary perspective to an eternal perspective. And that's exactly what Jesus does here with the 11 disciples. It'd be natural for their hearts to be freaking out by, by what he had just shared. But he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Now, as I was preparing this for you, God really spoke it to me because I was having that kind of heart trouble this week, just feeling unrest deep inside. And those words just came home, and especially those first two, don't let. Did you know Jesus is saying that it's a choice that we make, whether we're going to experience that or not? It's a choice. He's telling these 11 guys that are left, Judas is long gone to betray him. He's saying, you don't have to let your heart be troubled, even with all that's coming, even with all the fear that you feel right now. See, Jesus had just told them, I'm going to be leaving you. And they're grief stricken. And then he says, and you're not going to fare so well. You're going to scatter. He's telling them, even when the shame comes, don't let your heart be troubled. Even when you mess up, don't let your heart be troubled. And I think that he's going to go on. Our Lord's going to go on to tell us how living in this age is stressful, but you have a choice in how it's going to affect you. Let's see what he says. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. Trust in God. Trust in me. Do you? Do you trust God? Do you believe that this God in heaven his heart is good towards you, that he cares about you, that he's personally interested in you. See, that's what Jesus came to earth to tell us and also to show us. At a time when the disciples are caught up in their own limitations and the impossibility of the demands upon them, Jesus simply says, I know, I know, guys. But trust, trust, trust me. Don't look at the impossibilities. Don't look at your limitations. Don't get caught up in the things that you can't control. Trust me. Trust me with your everything. And he goes on. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. Jesus is saying, yes, I'm leaving. No, you can't come with me now. Yes, you will be scattered like sheep 
without a shepherd and the shepherd will be stricken and I must do this work alone, but don't let your sorrow, don't let your fear, don't let your shame produce an unholy turmoil in your soul. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust me. Why? There's a place for you in my father's house. As my father's children forever. ABC News reported some years ago that nine out of 10 Americans believe in a literal place called heaven. I don't know if that is still holding. I think it's probably gone down a little bit, but that's an important statistic because imagine what a society would be like if they didn't really believe in heaven. I mean, they would spend hundreds of millions of dollars in trying to stay young. There would be all kinds of books written about longevity and how to live as long as you can that have plastic surgery and diets and exercise programs. A society that didn't believe in heaven would spend billions of dollars on life support systems to try to keep us around to delay facing that unknown future. In a society that didn't believe in heaven, crime would soar without fear of eternal punishment or reward. The theology of a, of a society which didn't believe in heaven would be based on the here and now Health, wealth, prosperity. If it feels good, do it. Make up your own rules. Truth is relative. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> That's the culture we live in, isn't it? So even though we give lip service in America to believing in heaven, do we really believe in heaven? If you're here this morning and your heart is troubled, your heart is heavy, chances are you might have lost sight of heaven. Because Jesus is saying, I want you to have a heavenly perspective to live with heaven in view. Let the things of heaven shape the way that you make your priorities, the way you live. Once upon a time, there was a young king who had everything his world could offer. And he loved to laugh. So there was a, a visiting court jester that came to town and he put on such a show that the king laughed more than he had ever laughed before. And he said, I want you to be my personal jester. And he would make the king laugh. One day the king in a, in a bout of humor said, you truly are to his gesture, you are the king of fools. And he gave him a tiny scepter, just kind of as a joke. And he said, if you find someone that's a bigger king of fools than you are, you give this to them. Many, many years later, as that young king had grown old and lay dying, he called for his jester one last time. He said, I wanna laugh at least one more time before I go. The jester was ushered into his room, the doors were closed, it was just the two of them. And the jester, said, King, my King, where are you going? He said, I'm going on a long journey. How do you get there? I don't know. I've never given it much thought. And the jester reached in his back pocket and pulled out that tiny scepter and said, I'm no longer the King of fools. And he handed it to the King. And the King was kind of shocked. And he said, I fooled around, joked around, 
messed around with earthly things, but you've given no thought to eternal things. I have found a new king of fools. You know, I think Jesus is saying, hey, when you live your life based on what you see around you, and for this moment, go for the gusto. It's all you got right here, right now. You truly are the king of fools because there is a heaven. There is an eternity out there. And he said, I want you to live with an eternal perspective. I want you to get your eyes off of just what's going on right around here and, and begin to see with my eyes, live with eternity in view. And then he said, I'm going to go and get everything ready. What needs to be ready in heaven? I mean, they have potholes in the golden streets, you know, maybe they say you can't take it with you, but maybe they'll let you take your Rolex so they can fill the pothole, you know? Here's the thing. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, I go to prepare a place. I, I'm going to prepare the way for you to get to your father's house. It's not ready yet. I haven't died for you yet. There's this thing called sin and somebody has to take your sin upon themselves so that you can be free to live with the father. I'm going to do that for you. There's a, a condemnation that God says, I can't have sin in my presence and all have sinned and fallen short. I'm going to take that on myself on the cross. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to prepare the way for you. What was not yet ready, not yet prepared was your way to get to God's presence. Sin had not been atoned for. And he said, I'm the lamb of God about to be slain. So we look at that and then he says, not only that, I'm coming back to you. I don't know if you hear much about it these days in any area, but there is going to be a second coming of Christ. You know that, right? He said, I, in the way that I came this first time, I came as a servant. I'm coming again as king. And he's going to bring justice. He is going to come in power with his holy angels and all the believers that have gone on before us. I know people say, well, is that really ever going to happen? I mean, it's been over 2,000 years. But listen to what Peter says. He was there with Jesus this night. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, his little letter to the churches, he says this, above all, be sure to remember that in the last days, mockers will come following their own desires and taunting you, saying, so what happened to the second coming of Jesus that he promised? For everything keeps just going the way that it's always gone. Since our ancestors fell asleep in death, nothing's changed. Peter goes on, don't imagine, dear friends, that God's timetable is the same as ours. For with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. Now, the Lord is not slow about enacting his promise. Slow is how some people want to characterize it, Peter says. But no, he's not slow, but he's patient. He's merciful toward you, not wanting anyone to be destroyed, but wanting everyone to turn away from following his own path and turn toward God. 
And then Peter says, and the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. And on that day, the sky will vanish with a roar. The elements will melt with intense heat and the earth and all the works done on it will be seen as they truly are, knowing one day that this will come to pass. Think what sort of people you ought to be, how you should be living faithful and godly lives, waiting hopefully for and hastening the coming of God's day. Laura read a quote this week that just really jumped out at her. It says this, the father isn't going to send his son until we, his church, are no longer content with his absence. He is coming back, but he's patient. Are you here today and you haven't stepped into this relationship with Jesus that he provided the way? That's why he's not back yet. He's patient. He's waiting. He's waiting for you. He's giving you the opportunity to come to him. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. He wants all to come to him in repentance, turning away from our way of life and our control and letting him be in control. Here in this passage, Jesus tells us that every obstacle between us and our place in the Father's house is about to be removed in the next three days. <clears throat> the first thing, as he's saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you, he's saying, I'm getting ready to do what it takes for you to be in God's presence now and forever. I think we can see it really clearly in these next verses, four through six. He says, and you know the way to where I'm going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Good old faithful Thomas to ask questions, you know? We call him Doubting Thomas, but he really, not so much of a doubter, he's a questioner. And Jesus never reprimanded him for that. But he says, Thomas, Jesus told him, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. In other words, I go to prepare this place for you, and as I go, I become the way for you to get there. I am the truth that you hold on to to get there. I am life. I'm the life that you will enjoy forever when you get there. When I say I go to prepare a place for you, I mean I open the way. I am the way. I confirm the truth, and I am that truth, and I purchase the life. I am life itself. And I love that he said, I go to prepare a way to the Father. We just kind of skip over that. Jesus said, when you pray, pray our Father. Do you know how radical that was? The Jewish people had a name for God, Y-H-W-H in Hebrew, no vowels. We say Yahweh, but they didn't pronounce it. They wouldn't pronounce it. It's too holy. You might get stricken by lightning. You see, God of the Old Testament was distant to them, was far away, was scary, was unknowable in some senses. And Jesus came to earth and he said, no, that's, that's not who God is. I want to introduce you to a father who loves you, little girl, like you've never been loved who loves you, little boy, like you've never felt. Maybe your earthly family 
wasn't all that it should have been, but he's saying he's a different kind of father. He's the perfect father. He loves you unconditionally. You're not on performance-based acceptance with him. He's not looking to see, oh, you didn't quite measure up. Let me slap you down. He's saying, I love you unconditionally. Jesus said that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. I want you to think about that. A lot of people say Christianity is so narrow. There are many ways to God. Jesus said, no, there aren't. Because every other way is you trying to earn your way to God. Your good outweigh your bad. You take care of your fellow man. You do, it won't work. Because if you have even one sin, if you failed in even one area, if you've ever told even one lie or had one impure thought, you can't stand in God's presence. He's so holy. You'd just be, be like being an inch from the sun. You'd just be reduced to dust. But I have come to take that sin off you. I don't understand all about how he did it on the cross, but he did it. The Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And I've seen the passion of the Christ, haven't you? You know, I mean, I didn't see anything that looked like joy producing there. <laughs> he got scourged in a crown of thorns. He spit upon, he's put on a cross and crucified. His face is beaten by those Roman soldiers. And I didn't see any reason for joy. What in the world is the Bible talking about for the joy set before him? He endured the cross. Well, I think back to when we had our first child, Laura and I. She was 18 hours in labor with little David. And then she ended up having a C-section after all of that. Just about killed me, you know? It was like, oh, this is, I can't even, I'm never going to have, I, this. that's it. That was awful. I'm not going to do that again. I'm sure she had a great time. They brought little David out and he had, you know, this perfect little face. And then he had a cap on something back there because he had a head. And then, and I realized he'd been in the birth canal so long. He looked kind of like a banana, you know, and I was like, oh, my kid, what's going to, didn't realize their head goes back into shape after a while, you know. And, you know, the Shooks have a big head anyway. So it's just like, you know, it's not kind of disproportionate to the body, you know. So I, I'm just looking at him going like, what in the world? And I just remember when Laura took him. Oh, she just, oh, it was amazing to watch her with that little boy. And it wasn't like 18 months, two years later, she said, let's have another one. And I said, are you nuts? Are you crazy? That last one almost killed me. What are you thinking? You know what? It, it was for the joy set before. She forgot all about all that pain. For the joy set before her. And so we had little Sarah and little Ashley. And here's the thing. The joy set before her. That's what Jesus was doing on the cross. He saw you. I can have relationship with you. If you were the only one on planet earth, he would have still died for you. He loves you that much. Can you imagine that kind of love? That's why he says, trust me. Do you trust my heart? Do you trust God's heart? I'm telling you this, God, you don't even understand how much he loves you, how he would humble himself for you. He goes on, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, 
you may be also. I think this is an important phrase in this passage. I will take you to myself. He shifts the focus from a place to a person. Where Jesus is, that's where heaven is. I will take you to myself. What is the essence of heaven? The immediate presence of Jesus. So when he says, I go to prepare a place for you, the essence of what he's saying is, I go this night through death for you. Easter morning, I'm going to rise out of death to defeat death for you. And I will bring you into me. I am your room in the Father's house. I must die. I must rise. I must be glorified. I must intercede for you. And when I have done that, all will be ready. And I will come and take you to myself. My friends, don't let your heart be troubled. I haven't forgotten about you. I will come. I will take you. The dwelling I have prepared for you is my crucified, risen, glorified self. Don't be troubled. I will come and take you to myself. And then verse 7, he says, if you had really known me, you would know who my father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Throws a kind of a zinger at them because you can imagine the disciples are probably looking at Thomas. Can you ask him what that meant? You know, because you're the good question. But it wasn't Thomas's time. It was Philip. Verse 8, Philip said, Lord, show us the father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? You get what Jesus is, is saying here? Maybe as I'm speaking, you're thinking, Mark, I love that he's coming again. I love that at death he will come and, and take us unto himself. That's all wonderful, but it just seems so far away. I have turmoil in my soul right now. I have this deep trouble of my heart right now. I'm afraid for my children. My marriage is fragile. I lost my job. My health is failing. I'm so lonely. My heart is troubled right now. Isn't there some encouragement for right here, right now? And that's what Jesus is saying. The Father is here with you now. I am God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. Verse 10, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you've seen me do. In some ways, this is the most profound revelation that we have of the nature of the Lord with his Father, Jesus and his Father. And it's absolutely essential that we get it because it's the way our relationship is supposed to be. He's saying, I want you to understand there's a unique relationship that is the secret of my life and that will be the secret of your life on earth too. I've not come here simply to demonstrate how God works, how God looks, how God acts. I've come to demonstrate how a person acts in right relationship with God, how a person walks 
who is filled with God. The Father dwells in me, and he does the work. Now, I do them, but I do them by this secret relationship so that though I perform, my mind thinks, my hands work, my body acts, it's nevertheless really the Father doing all this through me because I'm on his agenda. All I want is what he wants. All I care about is what he cares about. And if you want proof of this, he says to Philip, look at two things, my words and my works. My words prove that I'm in the Father. I, I could never say what I say if I were not walking hand in hand with the Father, if the Father wasn't indwelling me. He gives me those words and they're truth. You wanna see a lot of truth? Read John 13 through 17. He even prays for you in there. He said, I pray for these men and not only them, but I pray for all those that come to faith in me through their word down through the ages. It's amazing. But he says, these words that I speak. Now, our culture would say, hey, truth is relative. You know, you can kind of just make up your own truth. And it's good that your truth is nice. I've got my own truth. Jesus says, no, I am truth. There's only one truth. It's me. The words that I speak, I'll never tell you a lie. I'll never lead you astray. In this world, you're going to have deep trouble. But take my courage. I've overcome the world. If you hear a preacher saying, you know, you come to Christ and it's going to be health and wealth and prosperity and it's going to be great and you get a couple of private jets and all the, that's not what Jesus said. He said, you're going to have trouble. Paul said, if you get married, you're going to have more trouble. Someone should have told you that on your wedding day, right? The Bible always speaks truth. Jesus speaks truth to us. He says, I want you to understand this secret. It's a secret about your own life. You see, if we get on God's agenda, everything's going to change. Yes, the economy might be in free fall, but have you been praying, God, do whatever it takes to bring America back to you? You might be answering your prayer. You say, well, that's not the prayer I meant. My 401k is going down the tubes. But you see, if you're on his agenda, it's going to be okay. And when the worst hits, let's just say it all hits the fan and everything goes as bad as it could possibly go, community of faith, we will lock arms and we will love each other and care for each other and we will be a light shining on a hill in the darkness. And the world will say, I want to be like that. I want some of that. What is it about them? And that's what he's telling us. He's saying, if you're on my agenda, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. I know they're hard. I know they're difficult. The other thing is, I love you so much. I wept. I cried. I saw a little girl, the tears you cried in the dark last night. Well, after midnight, I saw every one of them. And I cried with you. And I felt with you. A little boy, I see the anxiety that's in your heart trying to take care of this family. Wondering what's going to happen with your kids in this culture. I get it. I walk it with you but I will be adequate to handle anything that comes your way. I live in you. I want you to see 
verse 20, and I'll close with this. Jesus says, when I'm raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. This is the pattern. This is how I want you to handle life. This is how you are able to not let your heart be troubled. Look at that verse. It's amazing. He says there's this Father God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-sovereign. His plans are working out. Now, he didn't want our world to be a mess like this. We did that when we fell on our face, brought sin into the world, and that snowball of sin has just kept going down through the ages until we get what we get. But he didn't say, hey, you get what you get. Don't throw a fit, did he? No. He said, I will step in, and I'll walk with you in the midst of it. So we've got this mighty God that's in control. And then inside of God, Jesus says, I'm in him. And that's amazing because God and God. And then he says, and then you are in me. Do you see how protected we are? There's God the Father, God the Son. And then there's us. We're in him if we're believers. And then he says, and not only that, on top of that, I am in you. Through his Holy Spirit, when we step into this relationship with him, he comes to live in us. And as we look and follow his word and his truth and his agenda. He empowers us to do it. He gives us the strength to do it. You know why I, I love to talk to people who are struggling in their marriage? We're going to have a, a, a three-week marriage uh, seminar kind of thing. Well, I mean, it'll be here in, in, on Sunday morning, the last three weeks of October. So think about that. Invite your friends. But the truths that I've learned... You see, counseling can only take you so far. It tells you what you should do, but it doesn't enable you to do it. But God's spirit in you, there's a power there to be the husband that you've wanted to be, to be the wife that you've wanted to be as you walk filled with him. So he says there's God the Father, God the Son, inside of all of that protection is you, and then inside of you is me again through my spirit. Wow. I mean, that's amazing. Little daughter of mine, I know it's really hard right now. I see it. It's okay to cry. But don't let your heart be troubled. Trust me. Trust that my heart for you is good. Greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends. I want to let you in on what I'm doing. Walk with me. See what I'm doing in these last days. Yes, I'm coming again. Yes, everything's going to be revealed. Yes, I will cover this earth with justice. But I want to walk with you even now as those days are unraveling winding out. I want you just to close your eyes for a minute. Is your heart troubled this morning? Unrest? Listen to the words of Jesus. I've got you. The Father's got me. And not only that, 
I'm in you to give you the power as you walk through this world, this veil of tears, these shadow lands, until that great day that I come and gather you to myself. I will come and take you to myself, that where I am, you will forever be. And we say, come, kingdom of God, upon us. Be done, will of God, over us, and let us never forget. Let us step in. If anyone's here who hasn't stepped into you yet, let them step into that journey today, making you the one who's in control in their life, inviting you to take up residence within them. And let every one of us who are believers, let us remember this in Jesus' name. Amen.